What's going on, everyone? Welcome to State of the Nova Nation, presented by VU Hoops. I'm Pat Zhang. She's Emma Houghton. Emma's still away on Olympic duty, almost back as we come towards the close of the Beijing Olympics. So you've got me for just a couple more episodes, but (laughs) it is always a great day to be a wildcat. Today, especially, it's a damn good day to be a wildcat to, uh, to paraphrase Joe DiMaggio all those years ago, I want to thank the good Lord for making me a Villanova. And Villanova came away with the 89-84 to 84 win over Providence at the dunk to improve to 20-6 and six on the season, 13-3 and three in conference, and most importantly, just a half game back of the Providence Friars for their number one seed in the Big East regular season standings. It was the game of the year in the conference. That's how it was touted. It absolutely lived up to it. That was some of the most high-level basketball I think we saw between both teams and in some of you know any games this season in the Big East. Uh, I <laughs> man, it just feels good. I'm doing this with a huge smile on my face right now, and you know, it. I think it's rather obvious where I do have to begin here. But what better way? to begin going where exactly where I'm about to go, then beginning things off with Dana O'Neill and her column in The Athletic. There's one paragraph in particular that is just so, so perfect that will lead into it. So I will read it to you and then be sure to check out the rest of Dana's article and all of her amazing writings on The Athletic. This is what Villanova does. Jay Wright grows altar boy basketball assassins, players who are polite and even a bit vanilla in front of the camera yet make a living surgically removing their opponents' hearts. Follow the lineage to the beginning. Randy Foy to Mike Nardi to Ryan Archidiakono to Jalen Brunson to Gillespie Now and to Justin Moore waiting in the wings. You see the prototype. These are not players you love to hate. There's no swagger or dirtiness to complain about. They're just maddeningly and reliably consistent, like incredibly gifted basketball widgets. Ah, so good from Dana. And it is so perfect because, of course, I'm going to focus on Colin Gillespie to open things up here. We've said it as kind of a running joke throughout the season. Emma will be disappointed to not be a part of this one. Tough night yet again for the Colin Gillespie doubters. 33 points for the guard in what was just an incredible, phenomenal, gutsy performance against, uh, of course, such a good Providence team that was not losing, you know, any of their games. He stepped up when they really needed him. Justin Moore carried things in the first half. Gillespie completely took over in the second half and hit the dagger three at the end with about 30 seconds left. He hit another massive three, I believe, at about the three-minute mark where he was able to create his own shot off the dribble, which really buried Providence where they weren't able to come back uh, at that point. I mean, what more is there to say about this guy? Um, Actually, I do have more to say about this guy because I have some numbers on him as well. Gillespie's 33 points are the most by a Villanova player in a road game since Malik Waynes scored 39 in 2012. And then my favorite point coming in here from uh, Evan Miyakawa, uh, Colin Gillespie's consistency kind of going here. He is the only high major player in the last 20 years to have four straight seasons averaging 10 points a game, 40% from the field, 80% from the foul line, and less than two turnovers per game. The the player 
that Colin Gillespie has turned into the leader that Colin Gillespie has turned into. It is a cliche at this point to say he embodies Villanova basketball, but it's also an insult to not say that he embodies Villanova basketball. And when Nova needed it most in their biggest game of the season against a conference foe in a raucous environment on the road, he stepped up and he silenced the crowd and he showed that, you know, Villanova is still going to be right there. This may be Providence's magical season as they look for their first ever Big East regular season title. But if they win it, they're going to have to rip it out of Villanova's hands because Colin Gillespie is going to try and get him there. Gillespie's averaging 17.7 points in Villanova's 10 games versus ranked opponents this season. This is not a one-off. This is not just Colin Gillespie coming through here against Providence and what turned out to be a big win. This man has been all over things in Villanova's biggest games this season and continues to come through for them. Of course, he's still dealing with that injured ankle where I'm already, you know, five minutes into this, basically talking poetically about Colin Gillespie and have not even mentioned the fact that the man is not at full strength and is really gutting through this. What I look at, what is just so impressive with him since injuring his ankle, he still has not uh, missed a free throw since hurting his ankle there. I, I can only imagine the amount of pain that he goes through every single time he elevates for a shot. But to think that through all of this, yes, he had the zero point performance against St. John's where, oh, by the way, he finished with 10 rebounds in that game. The guy still is just unflappable from the foul line and has knocked down every single free throw attempt since he got injured. Uh, it truly is incredible what we saw from Gillespie on Tuesday night. I, I want the picture to truly be about how good he has been all season. I know we've mentioned it many times. I'm a huge Gillespie advocate, you know, talking about he's averaging career highs in three point percentage in two point percentage in points per game. Uh, it, it's just everything he's done coming back for this fifth year, he has elevated his game. And just remember a year ago, he was co-Big East player of the year. So uh, Colin Gillespie is going to go down as one of Villanova's all-time, you know, you know, best players. We're going to talk about that later in a mailbag as well. Um, and this was just one of those big time performances that I don't think any of us are going to be forgetting anytime soon. Let's look at the game plan here for Villanova, especially on offense. I was dead wrong. If you'll remember back earlier in the week, I thought Nova was going to try and attack the paint and just do what had been working and been working a lot these last couple games, even against teams with better interior you know, presence or, or someone that can really make you think when you're around the rim and Seton Hall and UConn and even St. John's to an extent can certainly you know, cause issues around the rim. So I expected no different from Villanova coming in against Providence that does have a Noah Horkler and Nate Watson. Oh no. Oh no, no, no. Instead, this team came out there and did what, you know, I've kind of harped on as, as a struggle, as a weakness for this team throughout a good portion of the year. And that's three point shooting. And they came out and shot 11 of 23 from beyond the arc. That is 48%, which is 12% better than average at 36. And most impressively, Villanova shot 48% from three. Providence was only allowing teams to shoot 32% from beyond the arc this season. They are a very good perimeter defense team. They make it very difficult for teams to be able to get in a rhythm out there. 
and it didn't matter. You know, Justin Moore hit so many big threes in the first half, you know, being able to get matchups there. Gillespie, of course, did it down the stretch. That's where most of your three-point shooting came in. I believe then the last couple came through with Slater and Daniels as well and racking things up. But that is a huge deal for this Villanova team. Yes, it's still mostly coming from two players in a very concentrated effort. But being able to attack from beyond the arc and being able to hurt teams from deep is something that this team hasn't been able to consistently do so far this season. So to come out there against a, you know, a biggest rival that has excelled at shutting down the perimeter, I take that as a huge sign and a big step forward for how lethal this team could potentially be down the stretch. I think the balance from this uh, offensive attack really is what stands out to me. So they ended up racking up 33 points from three, 32 from in the paint and 20 from the foul line. That's about as good as you're going to ask for in terms of not keying in on one area and spreading your points throughout the floor and making it difficult to defend. I I'm super, super impressed by that. And again, I I think all of that goes a, a really long way here. If we look at two, you know, going with with Nova on offense here, Justin Moore, you know, this game cannot be talked about. Yes, I know Gillespie is, of course, the hero. This game cannot. The story cannot be spoken without Justin Moore and his 18 points in the first half. Yes, he only finished with 19, went 0 for 7 from the field in the second half. And of course, I added the one at the foul line. But in the first half, Justin Moore carried this team. I believe at one point he had 13 of 18 points. That sounds about right to start the game. And it's not like Providence really came out slow either there. So really, really important for him to jumpstart the offense. And then at the half, he had the 18, as I mentioned. Brandon Slater, Jermaine Samuels, and Eric Dixon combined for 16. So what Justin Moore was able to do, it's so important. It's why I talk about it all the time that, Yes, it can worry me about how reliant this team is on Gillespie and Moore. But when it comes down to it, Gillespie and Moore are so talented that they have the ability to really go off and do things like this. And, of course, when you're able to lead the way like they were with 33 from Gillespie and 19 from Moore, you don't need as big a performances from the rest of the team or a limited bench, but we're actually not going to talk about the bench on this episode because this is all a happy thing though. I'll give them a slight reference uh, in a little bit. Then you would when say Gillespie and Moore are held a little more in check. Other part that I think you look at, I mentioned it very briefly. There was from the foul line. Villanova did sink 20 free throws in this game. I feel like at times it felt like Nova was missing way more foul shots than normal. Yes, they finished under their season average, but it actually wasn't that far under. It's just that they took so many free throw attempts. So they finished at 77%. They normally shoot at 83% as a team, but it's because they took 26 attempts and it's a key for this game. It was a key for this game. It's a key that I spotlighted and it's a key for basically all of Villanova's really big games is that they have the ability to bury teams at the foul line with how good and how efficient they normally are there. So when they are able to get that quantity up, like having 26 free throws in a game, they really allow themselves to build on and build on leads, which was really important in a game where Providence scored 84 points, mind you remember. So Providence became only the third team 
against Villanova to eclipse 80 points. They are the first team since Purdue did so early in the season. And, and as I said, only the third team to do it this season. UCLA also accomplished that feat in the overtime game way back when, uh, back in early November. If we look at more of the totalitarity of this game as well, this was dominant. And while no, it wasn't dominant and that they blew Providence out and they were never going to blow Providence out going to the dunk. It was dominant in the fact that Villanova led this game on the road for 38 of 40 minutes. That I never would have guessed, especially when you think about how back and forth it felt like this game went where both teams were always in this game. Villanova's biggest lead was only six for the fact that they led for 38 out of 40 minutes is super, super impressive. And on the flip side of that, when Providence did lead, their biggest lead of the game was a measly one point. So Nova never, never really fell behind in this game for, for and gave Providence a chance to run away with things or to get into a groove because the Cats were able to stay there even when they weren't leading. That's kind of the biggest number that I take away from this game if we look past the individual performance and go to a team to keep your foot on the throttle for basically 99% of the game in a game this big in an environment so hostile against a team having their magical season. <laughs> that's what gets you excited. It really does. And I think that's why so, so much and such a large portion of Nova nation on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning uh, is feeling really, really good. Do you have to look at things on the defensive side of the ball as well? Huge portion of why they were able to get a, get this win is that they held Providence just 5 of 23 from beyond the arc. Three-point shooting, as we said, it was a key for Villanova on offense. It was also a key for Villanova on defense, as Providence was never really able to get in any sort of rhythm. Al Durham actually didn't even hit a three. He went over five in this game. Noah Horkler shoots over 40% from the beyond the arc, only one for three from deep, which was honestly really surprising for me. I thought Horkler was going to play a lot larger role in this game, he's been so good for them this season, but it felt like he can never, it, it, he wasn't able to get any looks really is what happened. And I do credit that to some very, very strong Villanova defense where Providence thrived against the Cats, especially was in the paint where Villanova, a team that has been, as you've heard from the last couple episodes from me playing so, so well in the paint and honestly dominating teams at times from underneath the basket. They got smoked 50 to 32 Providence led the way there. And a lot of that came from Nate Watson, who was a beast. Of course he was a beast after I talked about earlier this week, how he hadn't uh, played as well as I would have imagined he would this season. Uh, 20 points on six of nine shooting was also eight of 12 from the line. Honestly, my biggest wonder for Providence in this game, taking it from their perspective is why he didn't see the ball more in the paint because Eric Dixon very clearly did struggle with him. That's not a slight against Eric Dixon. Nate Watson is a very different type of forward player uh, than mostly what Dixon faces. And of course, Watson has all the experience in the world as well, but it just felt like whenever Providence worked it down to them, they could get whatever they wanted underneath the basket. And he was causing so many issues. So I don't understand why uh, he didn't see it more 
in this game. He was tied for third on the team in most field goal attempts. I can't, I guess that's not shocking knowing how Durham and Bynum usually run things here, but you know, when something's working, why not go back to the well? And I do think Nate Watson should have seen a lot more of the ball than he did because Villanova just wasn't able to do anything against him. And that's something I will be watching in the rematch here is how Villanova maybe schemes differently to try and mitigate Watson's impact. And I want to watch if Ed Cooley picks up on that and says, I'm going to drill it down to my guy and see what happens because we know how good Nate Watson truly can be. But overall, you know, if we look at things defensively, to be able to hold the Friars, a team that usually shoots pretty well from deep, to just that 5 of 23 mark, that's the most impressive thing uh, for me there. And then I I do want to look at some other players here. It's someone that gets mentioned throughout the season. It was a big talking point when he was struggling. He is certainly not struggling anymore. And I told you it was going to be a difference maker. Brandon Slater's healthy, people. He is healthy, and the impact that he has made since he's regained his health, he does everything for this Villanova team. We've said it many times. He does not have to be November Brandon Slater that's scoring 20 points in a game and and hitting five threes. That's not necessary. That's not what we need here. Of course, it's great if he's able to pour it in, but it's not necessary for this Villanova team to win games. What Brandon Slater has done, especially in February, he's got double figures and points in every single game. They've played so far. Uh, He's got 10 steals in five games. His cutting to the rim is is such an important part of how this offense functions when either guards are backing down in the post or Eric Dixon grabs an offensive rebound. His basketball IQ to then get in the lane, cut to the hoop, you know, try and see if he can catch the defense napping has led to a lot of easy points for this Villanova team. And that's so vital. The worst he has shot from the field is 50% so far in February. And then my favorite part, um, the only semblance of baseball we have right now and very well may have for a while with how this godforsaken lockout is going is his inbound passing where he winds up and throws the baseball pass down the floor. It's something Villanova has actually started to do. Uh, You've seen it pop up a couple of times uh, over the, the last few games. It came up in a massive moment against Providence where he threw it down the floor to Eric Dixon over at Crosswell. Crosswell fouled Dixon, who, who then makes the layup there as well. I mean, I, I can't overstate, I can't understate um, the impact that Brandon Slater has had in getting his health back up to back up to par has been for this team, especially with guys like Moore and Gillespie still not at 100%, still not really practicing to be able to give them another option. Someone that can impact the game in so many ways we know about what he does defensively is really, really key. Speaking of impacting the game defensively, uh, this is not going to be a right home about game for Jermaine Samuels like you would about his fellow super senior Colin Gillespie. But I do think Samuels did a nice enough job on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, he struggled with fouls coming up with four and sat for a really prolonged period of time in this game, which led to him only being on the floor for 25 minutes, which was the least among uh, the starters and the least by a, a pretty healthy amount there. But what Jermaine Samuels did really well was, you know, show the effort. I believe he had two kind of track down steals where he ran from behind the play and knocked the ball away. That's great. We've talked about it so much. I, I don't feel a need to, uh, to really go into the, you know, the impact that I would like to see from Jermaine Samuels across the team, but to see him pitch in that way defensively, add in the three rebounds and all that, I think that's important enough in this game, especially when you have the performances that say a Justin Moore 
and a Colin Gillespie did have in this game. One more note on the offense that I do think is important, just to look at kind of this thing. Let's start connecting the dots here going further than the Providence game. Since the real stinker that Villanova had at the Pavilion against Marquette, where they only scored 54 points, and Justin Lewis, of course, hit the three-pointer to win it, Villanova is averaging 78 points per game over their last eight games there. I can't tell you how impressed I find that and how even surprising I find that because I there are times where I look at this offense and I wonder where the efficiency can really come from if, as I say, Gillespie or Moore is having an off night. But it seems like over the last eight games, this team has really started to kick it into gear on the offensive side of things to meet more of the level that we've seen from them defensively throughout the entire season. And a lot of that is the further emergence of Eric Dixon. Part of that is Brandon Slater getting healthy again. Part of that is the sporadic, you know, nice performances you'll get from Jermaine Samuels. And part of that is just Colin Gillespie and and Justin Moore being complete studs. But what it's done is really help round out this offense in a way that has become really explosive lately. And that's, as we start to head into the crucial part of the season here or are in the crucial part of the season and start to barrel towards March and the Big East tournament and, and ultimately the NCAA tournament to start to really get into a stride offensively. It, it's a good time. Let's put it that way. It is a good time for Nova to start to, to really kick things into gear. One quick note uh, before I move on here. I don't agree with how the bench played out. Um, <laughs> where you saw Caleb Daniels get 23 minutes, Brian Antoine five, Chris Arch with two, and Longino log six seconds. But we'll leave it at that because it's a happy day, Nova Nation. We are going to celebrate the win over Providence and be damn happy about it. And I'll worry about the bench and the rotation and how frustrated it can make me that Jordan Longino has played six seconds over the last two games another time, maybe after the Georgetown game. <laughs> but today is not the day for that. In the end, Villanova went into Providence, went into the dunk on a Tuesday night with the students there hours before the game, as was outlined by CBS and by The Athletic, against a team that was 21-2, and had lost one conference game so far this season. Nova went in and took care of business, and they did so because their star man led the way, because Justin Moore did what needed to be due as a secondary scorer. And the team was able to really run Providence off the three-point line. And what they did, most importantly, was Villanova closed for a second game in a row. And not only did they close, but they closed against the team that was told to be unclosable against, as Providence had not lost a game yet this season that was decided by under five points. Well, guess what? The difference between 89 and 84 just happens to be five. So there is now a large one in that column. And Villanova in that fourth quarter, the final 10 minutes of the game, outscored the Friars 25 to 22. Brendan Riley would be very proud because that is a plus three in, uh, in, in our book there. And it is against a Ken Palm, you know, top 50 opponent as well, something that Villanova had struggled to do so, so much. So as I said at the top of the show, it's a great day to be a Wildcat. 
and we'll get ready for Georgetown over the weekend. All right, we'll get into it then with Georgetown here on Saturday. Coming to the pavilion, I can't say I'm going to do a huge preview here on Georgetown just because, well, you know why I'm not going to do a huge preview here on Georgetown. Uh, Things have been rough for our friends down in D.C. all season long. They're currently sitting at 6-18. and I'm recording this a little earlier on Wednesday. So I do not have the results of their game at Pfizer against Marquette. I cannot imagine they're going to come away with a win there, but we can all laugh if they are able to beat Marquette later tonight. This is a team that has not won since December 15th, a home game against Howard. Uh, They're on a 14 game losing streak, winless in the conference. And in all honesty, they haven't really come particularly close to winning games so far. In the conference, their best showing was a three-point loss on the road to Butler at the end of January. Things are pretty dire right now in D.C. for Patrick Ewing's Hoyas. Uh, They don't do much well, which is really blunt, but also really true. I mean, they're an all-right offensive rebounding team. They can shoot the three a little bit and kind of hurt you from deep, especially with a Dante Harris, a Caden Rice type. But there's not a lot more (laughs) going on defensively. They've been really, really poor as a team. They don't shoot it very well. They're awful running teams off the three-point line. Uh, They get hurt by by good ball movements pretty aggressively. They don't do much well (laughs) to sum things up here. I mean, Aminu Muhammad is fun to watch. He's the freshman five-star guard. He started every game for them this season. And of course, can hurt you. So he'll be someone for Villanova to really key in on here. Dante Harris, as we know, you know, from the Big East tournament just a year ago, certainly has some spurtability here. But when things are all said and done, I mean, Villanova coming off their their big win against Providence here, all you have to do is not come out in a letdown. That's what this comes down to with the game being at home against a much inferior opponent, not just an inferior opponent, but a much inferior opponent Villanova has to get this done and I think they will get this done uh, when it's all said and done to put that through there Um, and then to sum up Georgetown I just told you about all the things they do really poorly and all the things that they struggle with against other teams but when they look back at this season they will remember that they beat Syracuse and I think we can all have a good laugh about that (laughs) We can move then into around the Big East before we finish up with a couple of questions here. It's not the biggest week in the Big East. Now that the Providence Villanova game is out of the way, that was certainly your flagship game uh, from the week. As I record this on Wednesday night, you got St. John Xavier, Georgetown Marquette, Seton Hall, UConn, actually a game I'm really excited about. It is also on CBS Sports Network, which is very unfortunate, but I will be watching that after I wrap up recording here Uh, not too much through the end of the week weekend game Xavier UConn will be an intriguing one I I know they had just played a week ago and I was very surprised to see Xavier win that one an opportunity here for the Huskies to uh, to bounce back and grab a, a very important home win before they take on Nova next week and then honestly a game I'm interested in it goes to Sunday and it's the one I wanted to spotlight Providence plays Butler and it's at Butler. So of course, Hinkle magic, always a thing, 
Butler is playing a little bit better of late. They had the, at least in my mind, shocking win um, over Marquette. They followed it up with an away win against DePaul. They do play on Friday night against St. John. So it's going to be a very quick uh, turnaround for them than playing Providence on Sunday. But my question is, how does Providence respond to getting punched in the mouth, really, for the first time this season? Just a couple of days ago, we talked about how Nova got up off the mat after Seton Hall gave them a big punch in the mouth with their run. We saw Nova have their little bit of a swoon in December there with Baylor and with Creighton. How does Providence respond to, to seeing some adversity here and then going on the road to a place that, you know, can be nightmarish, as we as Villanovans very well know. So that's what I'm watching on Sunday. But as I said, that kind of sums up what is not the biggest week in the conference um, post Providence Villanova, of course. And so that can lead us then into last segment. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode here uh, since I don't have too much to do on Georgetown, but I had a couple of questions come in. So I'll answer both of them and then I'll send everyone off into what should be a nice long weekend for President's Day. But we'll kick things off here with a question from Jerry here. Without Justin, we are not in the game. Without Colin, we do not win. When did you feel we were going to close this one out with a W? It's a great question, Jerry. Um, first off, I will proudly say that on Tuesday's episode, I did predict that Villanova was going to win this game. So I showed a little bit of faith. I know I can sometimes be negative. Uh, it happens with me, but I, I, I did feel that they had the ability to close this thing out. When did I think Villanova really had this one? Honestly, it goes back to a play uh, that I, I, I touched on very quickly at the beginning It was when Colin Gillespie hits a three. It's not the one with 32 seconds left. I'm not going to take the easy one. I believe it was with about three minutes left in the game where he sidestepped. It was either Durham or Bynum out in the the three-point line to be able to create a shot for a three, and he buried it. I wish I had the score in front of me uh, when he did drill it. But at that moment, I I felt pretty good that Nova was going to be able to close things out. I maybe felt a little nervous when Al Durham's layup from what seemed like behind the backboard took eight bounces on the rim and found a way to go through. (laughs) But uh, after I found, yeah, with a 301 left in the game, that went from 75-73 to 78-73 here. Uh, That was the moment where I I think my mind fully wrapped my head around Colin Gillespie's not going to let them lose this game. Second question from Jerry, does the Finn ever get as loud as the dunk? Oh, Jerry, you're putting me in a, in a tough position here to, uh, to talk about my thoughts. Um, I think the dunk is probably a better environment than the fin. Um, the fin is a ton of fun. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I always love going there and, and I think things are good. Uh, but th- the dunk is a really special college basketball atmosphere. It is as a, um, you know, we'll call it neutral fan. When I watch Providence, one of my favorite places to watch a game on TV, it is one of my top places that I really want to get into and see a game in person. I, you're talking to someone that really does love the dunk here. So I, I would say no, though the fin can get loud. It can, I promise I've been there for it. It's been loud. Um, but that, that place is so, so cool. And then third question coming in from Jerry, 
Will the team keep up the free throw percentage as we finish up our big East games? You know what, from the sample size we've seen this season, I say, yeah, I say, why not? I, I understand things were a little lower here against Providence over uh, on Tuesday night, but this team has shown nothing but the ability to drill free throws, you know, whether it be Gillespie, whether it be more, whether it be Dixon, you know, the, the master of drawing lane violations, uh, whether it be Slater that, his progression from where he was just a couple seasons ago at the free throw line to where he is right now is, is honestly crazy. A couple I actually have it up in front of me right now, just as a sophomore, Brandon Slater shot 40% from the free throw line as a junior, just a year ago, he shot 60%. Brandon Slater right now is shooting 86% from the free throw line, which is just such a testament to all the work that this guy has done to, uh, you know, become one of the most improved players and not just the Big East, but all of college basketball this season. So I look at it and I say, heck yeah, why not? Why wouldn't Villanova be able to continue this free throw shooting? And I expect that to continue to be, uh, as has been my favorite line this season, continue to be their superpower uh, as we close things out through February and move into March. And then two questions here from Matt Berger before I let everyone go. Number one, how high do you think Nova's seating ceiling can be for the NCAA tournament? It's a good question. It's a question I think we're all starting to think more and more about now as we are just under a month from Selection Sunday. I don't see this as a one seed. Uh, I, I think the one line is probably pretty set, and there, there's some really, really strong teams you know, out there in college basketball, it's going to be tough to grab a one seed from say, you know, a Gonzaga and Arizona and Auburn. So you want to throw in there as a fourth, maybe, maybe Kentucky uh, or, or Kansas, depending on how things play out. I do think a two is possible for this Nova team, uh, depending on how some other teams shake out and, and Villanova's end to the season here. If Villanova wins out, I, I most certainly think they will be a two seed. Um, but I also don't think Villanova is going to win out. For me, three is what feels just about right uh, in terms of the Cats. I just I, I think that's where they probably turn things out. But a two is, as I said, most most certainly possible. And then if the things just go poorly over the next couple of weeks, I think a five is probably your floor. But Villanova is a five seed. Uh, I don't think teams would be very happy being drawn into that one. Actually, interestingly enough, as you bring up this question, it makes me think about Sports Illustrated released an article, I want to say it was today, where they named their eight teams that they say these are the only eight teams that can win a national championship this year. And if you go through that list, you will notice that Villanova is not on it. But I'm going to tell you why it's okay, and it doesn't matter. And that is because I believe it's over the last, at least over the last decade, if not over more than that, the national champion as we enter March every single year, other than UConn part one, I want to say, was in the top 10 in the Ken Palm rankings. And as of right now, your Villanova Wildcats are at number eight. So they are most certainly in the conversation there. We don't need to do a full-on NCAA tournament outlook. What do we believe yet? I promise you, you will get that over the next month. Um, but hey, just something to think about. Villanova's in very good shape, and that win over Providence only helped compile that. And then, Matt, and then you asked me the very difficult question, the impossible question, some may say, that I'm going to finish this show out on. Uh, question two is saying, 
him and his buddy were ranking Villanova guards since 2016. What are your top five guards since then? I think what it shows you too is just kind of the blessing of what we've seen just since 2016. Of course, this isn't even factoring in before then and all the talented guards that have really come in through the Jay Wright era and, and, and all of that. So we look there and it's difficult. My number one is without a doubt, won't question it, won't debate it. It, it just has to be. But at number five, we start with Javon Quinterly. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't clip that. I'm kidding. <laughs> at number five, I, I did put Phil Booth there. Uh, I love Phil Booth. I actually would like to move Phil Booth up more um, on this list. I just, I have a really difficult time with all these guards. And honestly, I'm still not sure I fully buy in with how I rank these guys. But at four, I put Ryan Archdiakono. Uh, that may be surprising that I have him only down as four. I know the impact of him goes even farther beyond what he was able to do just straight performance wise on the floor. Of course, a most outstanding player uh, in the final four doesn't hurt either uh, retired number with Villanova. Um, yeah, it's a pretty good career for Arch. At three, I'm going with Colin Gillespie. I said it at the top of the show. I think Gillespie goes down as as one of Villanova's you know, best players, it does. Is he the greatest Villanova player of all time? No, absolutely not. But does he deserve to be thrown up there in Villanova greats? Yeah, he does. And for me, he does have a national championship on his resume as well. Yes, I understand he wasn't a leading player there, but he was on that team. He's got a chance for a team that is going to be competing for one this year. You go through all the biggies, regular seasons and tournament titles and, and everything of that. I think Colin Gillespie, I'm going to put in at number three. At two, guy that's jersey was retired earlier. This season, Josh Hart, I adore Josh Hart. I love Josh Hart. I had so much fun watching Josh Hart play. I think his versatility uh, it was just so important to everything Villanova did. One of the better rebounding guards uh, as well that has come through this program. We know we had the scoring punch. We talked about Josh Hart's best moments, you know, just about a month ago when he was getting his jersey retired. Josh Hart's a Villanova great, without a doubt, and had to go there. And of course, of course, at number one, it could only be one man. I went with Jalen Brunson. Uh, Brunson, my all-time favorite Villanovan. Uh, I will never get enough of watching that man play. His intelligence and smoothness and killer instinct and just everything about the way Jalen Brunson played basketball was honestly an art form out there. It brings me great joy to see how he perform has been performing in the NBA and all the teams that passed on him because he can't you know, jump out of arena or isn't the fastest guard out there. And then all he does is just be smarter than you and have a better IQ than you and find a way to finish around the rim. And well, I, I, I could do a whole podcast on Jalen Brunson. I really could. So Jalen Brunson, my number one, this question was really, really difficult. I, uh, as I said, I'm still sh shuffling things through in my head. I feel weird having Ryan Archidiakono at four, but I, I just Brunson had to be at one for me. Hart had to go there. And then it was kind of how did I want to flip things here with Gillespie and him? And I think of Gillespie, if you look at the pure numbers and you look at the scoring load that that he's carrying and just all that he's done, um, I, I give him the nod. I do. And that might not be a popular opinion, but it's what I'm going with. Um, and then I have Dante DiVincenzo and Justin Moore just missing the, uh, the cut there. DiVincenzo, of course, had the unforgettable run in that 2018 NCAA tournament just but for the longevity 
of the five guys I just listed out there and the impact that they had, they have to go in front of them. And then I love Justin Moore. Everyone knows I love Justin Moore. He is my favorite player on this team, but I, I can't put him ahead of any of those guys that I just listed out. That was a fun episode. That, that was, you know, a little different. I'm still working through doing these solo. As I said, really excited to have Emma back here, but whew, Villanova beat Providence and I'm feeling good. And I'm sure many of you are feeling really good too. Nova next up, of course, on Saturday at the Finn against Georgetown. And then we will get back into more of a regular type preview when the Cats do play UConn at UConn next Tuesday. But all right, that will do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com. You've got your recap from the Providence game as well as a couple of takeaways. And of course, there will be more content throughout the week to get you ready for Georgetown on Saturday. Also, make sure you subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and follow us on Twitter at SONNPod. As I said, we'll be back at it on Tuesday. Everyone have a phenomenal President's Day weekend. Enjoy that long weekend. And Nova Nation, that's a wrap.